All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here today with us on our main campus. Welcome to those who are joining us online. Just a couple quick notes before we get started. If you are a parent of a senior, or if you're just a senior here without your parent, Senior Sunday is coming up, and you need to get your stuff turned in to Tyler. Um, and so your picture and a write-up. Um, and if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, see one of us on staff afterwards, and we can help you uh, navigate through that since Tyler's not here um, today. So make sure that you get that stuff turned in. The other thing, uh, if you were unable to attend on Friday night, so we had our night of worship was uh, Friday night, um, and it's hard to really put it into words what Friday night was like. So if you were here, you understand. Um, if you weren't here, uh, it's hard to just tell you how God moved and how the Spirit of God was there. But one of the great things that you can do now if you didn't, weren't able to attend is you can go online and uh, watch it. Um, and so you can go on our YouTube page and be able to do it that way. It was posted on social media yesterday, so if anybody has social media on that, you can do that. Um, and again, if you can't find it, let us know and we'll try to get it to you. But it's just a powerful night. God moving. Lots of people that we had an opportunity to lay hands on and to pray for. Um, but it was just good to see, you know, God's presence and the things that he uh, was doing. All right, so we're in the second week of our series called Love, Sex, and Dating. And I told you guys this when we started the series. For many people it was, I mean... Do you really talk about that kind of stuff at church? Like, should that be the things that you should be discussing? And where does the church fall and all of that? And how do you really talk about it? Because in a lot of people's view, what does the Bible have to say about love, sex, and dating? Right? Like, we know it has to say a lot about other things, but does it really address or does it talk to? So I feel like over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, people have been at the place where, we're not really going to talk about it in church because it's a little bit awkward and we don't know how it fits with a diverse culture of people and so we just won't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it, we let culture define it, right? So we feel like culture has defined things that they never had a right to define for Christian people, you know what I mean? Like they defined what love, sex, and dating should look, at, look like and because the church never talked about it, we just went ahead and said, oh, what culture says must be right, so we'll just go... Uh, with what culture is. So we think it's important to go back and say, let's redefine the rules because scripture does talk about love, sex, and dating. Specifically, it talks a significant amount about what relationships should look like, right? And how relationships should be. And so it's really important for us to look at what are the rules that scripture puts up for relationship. And if you are a Christian person, how should you take what culture has and what you've been taught and redefine it with what Scripture has to say. Now, for some of you in here, when we're talking about love, sex, and dating, some, I think, have went like, okay, is this one I just don't come to because I'm already married, you know, and so I don't really need, you know, to, to, to go through that. So I want to kind of define who it's for and how we think that you can uh, gain wisdom from this. So if you are single and you are at some point entertaining the idea of dating somebody with the purpose of marriage, which we'll get to that later on in this series, but not dating to try before you buy, but dating for the idea that this is somebody I'm going to marry, right? Like there's a cultural difference between dating somebody that, for the idea of marriage and dating somebody to just try them out for a while, Okay. So if you are that person and you're thinking about that, there are some rules defined by Scripture that helps us understand what are those foundational things. 
If you are dating somebody right now with the possibility thinking, oh, he might be the right one or she might be the right one, we're going to help you define how do you decide the right one. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you know what you should be looking for? Because one of the things that I've thought is interesting when it comes to the dating world, um, even when I was, was a part of it, is it's just kind of find the hot girl that you get along with, right? Like, hey, we can work everything else out. You know, there wasn't really like this checklist. Like, they should probably have some of these qualities. They should probably be like this, have this certain character traits, you know, as long as she's good looking or he's good looking and we get along and we don't fight that much, heck, why not get married, you know? So it will help you define scripturally what is it that God says about relationships and how should we uh, approach that. If you're married, you know, and you're at a place where you were like me when I got married, which is nobody told you how to do it, you know, you just thought it was a good idea and you did it and then you kind of been learning on your way. Um, this will help you define some things that you could be working on inside of your marriage um, and some things that you could be looking at to say, are these some things that we're doing or things that we need to do better so we can enhance our relationship and be the couple that God has called us to be. If you are a couple that's sitting in here today saying, I don't need any of this, you need it the most. Right, because you are too proud and, and, I hate to say this, too arrogant to believe that God can work in your life and work in your relationship and your marriage. So for you, you might want to listen up a lot. Because for all of us, until we meet Jesus Christ someday at the end of our life, we're not complete. You know, and he's still working on us and we're a work in progress. So allow it to be a work in progress when it comes to us and our relationship. Which is what we talked about last week. So here was last week. So if you're trying to decide how relationships can work well, you know, and you're always thinking about the other person, the first foundational point of a relationship is this, work on you first, right? So men, if you are going to be the person that the opposite sex wants you to be someday, whether it's dating or marriage, you have to first be what God has called you to be individually, right? You cannot give to your spouse or to the person you're dating what they deserve unless you've first been given to it by God, right? The only way to love them well is to overflow because he's working inside of you. You hear me? So it's individual. Like you have to work on your own individual relationship because too many times we're always looking like either how to serve the other person or help the other person, which is good, and then we forget to work on ourselves, or we're always pointing out the flaws in the other person of what they can do better without fixing ourselves. right? So he says, men and women, become the person that God has created you to be and work on that piece of it. And if you work on that piece of it individually, that's something that's going to carry over into a relationship. So Guys and, and, and ladies, you know, this is something that we should all be thinking of. Understand that inside of a relationship, if you don't get this piece right, you will struggle at some point in your relationship. If your person that you're in relationship does not love Jesus more than they love you, you will have a problem. You just will. If your person that you're in relationship with doesn't love Jesus more than they love you, there is going to be a problem. And we see this throughout Scripture, right? Like we see where Jesus says, don't hold on too tightly to anything other than me, right? 
And there can be some unhealthy infatuations that happen inside of relationships because you don't have the right infatuation, and that's with Jesus, right? And that's where it should be with Jesus. So I want to teach every young person that in this, the place that you need to start is your relationship with Christ. And as you're working through that, everything else becomes healthy because then you're not asking the person you're in relationship to give you something that they don't have. Or you're not asking them to do something that they were never intended to do. Does that make sense? Right, that was last week. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to talk about what does it look like and how do we understand what it looks like for a boy to become a man. So today's all about men. Okay? So if you're a guy, don't, don't get too upset. You know, we're not going to hit you too hard. But it is all about you today. Okay? And it's all about you in a way that we're going to talk about what does it look like for a boy to become a man. And so if you are a woman in here or a young lady and you're saying, well, I can just check out and go get the coffee, you know, uh, then here's what I want you to tell you about today. Like here's what you need to think about today. Because I know in your mind you're like, oh, yes, ammunition, right, for later. <laughs> I am going to write these things down. I'm going to sit down with my significant other. And you're like, do you hear what the pastor said? Right? <laughs> Do you know what you're not doing? Because this is what he said you're not doing. And I'm just, you know what? I love you, so I just want to make sure you're doing it type of thing. That's not what I want you to be able to do with this. What I want you to be able to understand about today is, is that if you are a young lady, okay, and you're, you're looking to date somebody someday or be in a relationship with someday, here's what I'm hoping. Because here's what I think's happened, and I don't know this, but this is what I think. I think young women have lowered their standards on their expectation of men. I just think they've said, there ain't enough of them out there. You know, like the pool <laughs> keeps getting smaller, right? And so we're like, we're ever going to get married? We got to like take a couple off the list because this ain't going to work anymore, right? So here, ladies, what I'm hoping is is you'll look at the expectation of what God expects of men and you'll keep it there because God has somebody for you. Amen, right? God has somebody for you. Don't lower your expectations because you think it can never happen. So I hope you will do that. Men, I hope that you will accept this as not something that's, that's condescending to you. So when we look at what it is that God wants to do in your life, I hope you look at it as a challenge. You know, I hope you look at it as to say that, that God wants something for my life, and I need to hear it, right? And I need to be able to listen to it, and I need to be able to be the man of God that, that he's called uh, me to be. Because here's the problem today, Okay. The problem is culture has defined how men should treat women, okay? It's in our music. It's in what you watch on TV. It's in the way that people discuss. Women are treated as a commodity, right? And I know nobody's going to be like, oh, yeah, women are just treated horribly. We're in the 21st century, for crying out loud. It's not that bad. Listen, if you watch things that are happening in circles of men and how they're dealing with people and how they're talking about women and the things that are happening... They for sure are discussing things like this. As long as she can give me what I need and what I desire and what I deserve, she's good. But as soon as she can't, I'm done with her and I'm going to move on to the thing that can, right? Commodity. Like whatever it is that she can give me or whatever it is that, that she completes in me or whatever it is, just like any commodity is, right? You use commodities until you don't need them anymore, right? Or until they gave you what you wanted, 
right? You use that commodity up, it's made its useful purpose, and then we'll move on to something else. And so what we want to be able to do today is redefine what it looks like for men in the way that they treat women. And it starts with this. This is 1 Corinthians uh, 13, uh, verse 11. We talked about this last week. When I was a child... I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Okay, so we said this last week. Children act like children because they're children, right? And it was funny because I said, I used the example of when Ryan and Hadley get together. You know, there's a thousand toys, everybody had this experience. There's a thousand toys laying out all over the floor, but they find the one, you know what I mean? And the one has it and the other one needs it and they can't you know, go on in life until that one gets it, you know. And so, you know, Hadley or Ryan, I don't remember which one it was, gets a toy, and Sherry's not feeling that good, you know, and she's kind of sit there wanting to watch the kids play, and then all of a sudden it's an all-out brawl to who's going to get this toy. <laughs> I'm like, there's a thousand other things. Your mom doesn't feel very good. Can you pick something else, right? And But no, like try to redirect their thoughts. You ever do this with kids? Like, oh, look at this thing. And they're like, I want that thing, right? And the only reason I want it is because they have it. And we expect that because kids are selfish when they're little, right? Kids, kids are selfish. And when they do share, we are in, oh, you know, when they finally do, like, here's a toy and you can play with it. We all are just way surprised when that happens. So here's what I want to say to you guys. Like, there was a time for you to be selfish, when you were a child, right? And there was a time for you to act like that. But Paul would say that, listen, but when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood, and I put the ways of childhood behind me, right? So I went from being selfish, and it's all about me, which is, think about this, that's how we consume commodities, right? What I want, I'm going to get. It's all about me. I'm going to take it. When I don't like it, I'm going to get something else, right? That's how the whole commodity piece works. And so men, the problem is, is that when he says the childish ways, it's not that it's abnormal to be selfish when you're young. What's abnormal is when you continue to be selfish when you're old, right? When you continue to be all about you. Now, I want to tell you this, guys, so, um, so that you don't think that I'm beating up on you. I don't necessarily think it's all your fault. I think the culture has driven us to a way to make men very selfish, especially as young boys. You know, and I think about this a lot because when I was a kid, the expectation is when you're a kid, you work and you get a job and you might be able to play a sport, you know, and pick something that you want to do. But at the end of the day, you've got to participate in the family. You know what I mean? Like it's got to be a, you got to help make all of this work. And so you got to help with the responsibilities and take care of the chores and work up. And I think part of what's happened in culture is kids have been raised up like whatever you want, because I was raised like this and I want you to be a kid. So you can just do whatever you want, right? For as long as you want. And then all of a sudden when they get to be 18 and they're still acting like they're 14, we're like, what's wrong with you? Well, we've treated them like they were 14 till they're 25, Right? We've not asked men to take responsibility for participating in and being anything other than about themselves. Right? And so I'm not even saying that necessarily for you individually that it's been your fault. I'm saying culturally we've defined selfishness in men as being okay. We've defined 25-year-old boys as kind of funny, 
you know? It's not abnormal anymore for a 25-year-old to act like he's 15. We're kind of like, oh, it's the new culture, you know? you know? And it's okay for people to act that way. Here's what I would ask you to do. So if you're a Christian man sitting in this room, I already know what culture defines, and I already know what your upbringing might have been. My question is, do you aspire for anything else? Do you aspire to be the man that God called you to be? Because if you're trying to figure out how to make it work and, and understand the way it works and live up to cultural standards, like, we've missed the boat. But what would it look like, men, today to say, I want to live up to what God wants for me? Like, he has a plan. And, and knowing that I can be used in a way to transform generations of people, that's what I'm going to challenge you with today, to think through that. And one of the things that I want you young ladies and and to think about as an indicator through this, because part of this is like, hey, I'm dating or I'm trying to find out or I'm trying to understand what this looks like. Here's what I want you to think about. You want to know an indicator for young men of whether or not they'll be the man that you want them to be some way, someday? I'm going to give you an indicator. You ready for this? Any young guys taking notes because you need to think. For, you hear me? Listen, here's the indicator. How they treat their mother. Young boys and the way that they treat their mother is an indicator and a lot of times on how they are going to treat women someday. Now again, I'm not saying it's across the board and always the same, but I'm just telling you, you know why you can see that? Because there are a lot of times where young men don't always agree with mom and always have the greatest relationship with mom. Like they get along with dad maybe, right? Like because they're doing all the dad stuff, you know. But when it comes to mom, there's this like, Mom has an expectation of them and wants them to act a certain way, and they don't, and they're not respectful to their mother. So what do you think is going to happen when you come into conflict with them someday, and they don't like what you're saying or asking or doing? Do you think they're going to be like, oh, but I love you, you know, and I respect you, and I respect what you have to say? It just doesn't go that way. If they don't respect the women in their lives, don't think, young ladies, that somehow they're going to respect you right? Look at the way they treat their mothers or look at the way that they treat other women and you'll get a good indicator of what that looks like. So some of the things I'm going to say today you might think are old-fashioned. Okay, that's okay. So it might be old-fashioned, but what I'm telling you is the Bible, what we're going to look at, because this isn't my opinion. This is what Scripture says. Scripture is timeless, right? We want to get into like we're listening today because this one's going to be important, right? Scripture's timeless. So what, what it said however many years ago is important because it matters, right? And it's, it's timeless all the way through. Sure, culture has defined a new normal, but we need to go back to what Scripture says and understand what we believe about Scripture. And we need to understand, you might think that what I'm saying to you is old-fashioned because of the culture they live in, but I want you to hear this. When Jesus came... When Paul was here, Peter was here, I want you to understand the culture that they were talking to. So women, I want you to get a view of how a stark contrast of the things that Jesus said, Paul said, and Peter said into a culture that had an idea of what women should be. So let me tell you a little bit about the culture then. Back then, prostitution was legal, okay? So what would happen for a lot of men is they looked at women in this way. Women are good for producing babies, but only male ones, okay? Anytime they had a female baby, most of the time, if there wasn't a use for her, they just put her out on the rocks to die, and it was completely normal, 
right? So it was born, it was a little girl, they would take her out to the edge of the village, put her on the rocks, that little girl would die, nobody would look at it, it wasn't illegal, it didn't matter, because at that point, women didn't matter, right? So prostitution was legal, and the reason that prostitution was so big in the Roman culture and the Greek culture is because they used it as a form of birth control. So because they didn't want to have any more kids, so they just used the wife. So once they had the son or whatever, then the, the wife's job was to make food and to raise the son. And any time that a man's needs needed to be met, he went to a prostitute. And it was completely normal. So that way, if the prostitute got pregnant, he didn't have any ties to it. Right? Didn't really matter. So they used, again, women as commodities. Women's level or statue or status inside of culture was very low right? People viewed them, the people the way they talked to them, their status was, was way low compared to men's, and they were used as a commodity. They were viewed only as a resource for things. And again, so when Jesus came in, so think about this, Jesus came in, and do you remember the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well? You may remember that story. So Jesus comes in, so this, remember the culture, right? So what's the culture? Women are terrible. Nobody should talk to them. You know, you shouldn't be around them. They're at subpar level. Here's a rabbi Jesus, right, religious person. Here comes a woman, and do you know why she was at the well at the time that she was there? Because she was doing things that she shouldn't be, and she wasn't even accepted in the women's culture at the time. Jesus shows up and talks to a woman and treats her just like Men, puts his hand on her and says, I have something for you. You're out here to get water. I'm here to give you living water. And even the disciples were like, why are you talking to a woman? Why are you talking to a woman? Because think about this. Even Jewish disciples looked at Jesus' response to women and been like, what are you doing? They don't deserve that status. They don't deserve to be offered you know, salvation. Or remember the woman caught in adultery? Remember the story about that? The adulterous woman, she's caught in adultery. And culture would say, what should you do with the adulterous woman? Stone her. Get rid of her. What did Jesus do? Jesus goes up and says, not only don't stone her, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Go away. Don't sin. Like, like, your life has been restored. No woman ever got that kind of treatment. But Jesus was redefining in Christian culture how men should treat women. Okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Scripture and we're going to say, so what does Scripture say about us, men and young men? How should we be treating women? And why is it so important in the, the aspect of what we're doing? So here's the first one that we're going to look at. So the first Scripture we're going to be looking at is uh, John 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 34 uh, through 35. So John 13, 34 through 35. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be up here um, on the screen. So here's what he says. A new command I give you. Why was it a new command? Think about this. So Jesus is saying, here's a new command that I'm going to give you. Why was it new? Because before Jesus... People loved people if they deserved to be loved. So if you were a poor person in Jesus' culture, were you deserved to be loved? No, right? Were they treated differently? If you were here and a poor person was here, were they loved the same way? No, 
right? If you were somebody who was sick or you were somebody who sinned or if you were somebody that, you know, was a woman, should a woman be loved the same as a man in Jesus' culture? No, right? Like, they shouldn't be loved the same. So he says, I have a new command, okay? And, and this is profound, right, what he's getting ready to say. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. Here's what he was trying to say, and this is why it's so profound. External signs, this is what Jesus was trying to say. Going to the synagogue, showing up for prayer, doing all the external signs are not a representation of you being a disciple. So put it into our culture. Coming to church, reading your Bible, uh, showing up at small group, singing songs, doing worship, external things, wearing a cross, having earrings that are crosses, having tattoos that are on you, external things that we would say, you would look at and say, that person's a Christian. He's saying that's not the way that Christian people are defined. You know how they're defined? By the way that they love, right? Now here, listen to me. Here's the most profound part about it. And the way that you love one another will say to the world that you are my disciples, right? So a long time ago, Sherry and I made a decision when it came to raising kids. So when we went to raise our kids, because again, we didn't really know what we were doing and we had a lot of advice, but you know, we kind of like to learn on our own type of thing. And so when people said to us like, hey, here's something you need to think about. You need to make sure your kids don't have bad friends, right? Don't let them be around the bad ones. And I'm like, really? Like if they're not around the bad ones, how do they ever know Jesus? Like how does that work? So we made a decision a long time ago. We don't care who our kids' friends are. Whatever. I mean, I'm not going to choose them for you. If we do that, it's just going to end up being a big fight. You know what I am going to do? So this Brady said this, I said to all of them, I'm just going to try to reach your friends. So I'm going to help teach you how to reach your friends for Jesus. I'm not going to try to tell you you can't be with them. I'm just going to teach you how to be able to reach them. So here's what Sherry and I decided, and we were very strategic about this. We want to do two things. We want to bring them into our home, right? And we want to take an opportunity to train our kids how to reach their friends. So that was the first strategic part about it. You know what the other strategic part was? Here's what we believed, that if those group of people came in and they were unbelieving people and they watched the way Sherry and I loved one another, that they would see and understand the love of Christ like no other place. You hear me? Because I said this all the time. You know how hard it is if you're an unbelieving person to, to read the Bible and say, Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally when they've never been loved unconditionally or they've never seen love unconditionally or they've never had parents that showed them love unconditionally. And then we're trying to say, you know that Jesus person who you never see, you're never around and you're never a part of, that guy loves you unconditionally when they have no witness of it. So Sherry and I believed this from a long time ago. We said, listen, if we love one another the way that Christ has called us to love each other, we will be a witness of the love of Christ to, to Isaac's friends, to Brady's friends, to Corbin's friends, to Lexi's friends. All of our kids' friends that are going to come into our home are going to get a view of Jesus by the way that we love one another. And that's always been my challenge. I've said this to every married couple that I've ever been a part of. Listen, the greatest picture of love, the love of Jesus Christ is inside of a married relationship. You know why? 
because it's so sacrificial. You know what I mean? It's so difficult, so hard to be able to understand that. So again, when he tells us that, that we need to uh, have a new love and love for one another, then he goes on and he says this in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, so this is now Paul, so before this was Jesus, now this is Paul saying, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ uh, loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what do we know about Jesus when he came to this earth. Jesus could have been, because I think this is where a lot of men end up sometimes, we're takers. So like give, we want to take, give us what we need so that we can do what we want to be able to do. Jesus gave a different example. When Jesus came to the earth, he said, I came to seek and save the lost, right? And I came to, he would show, serve people, wash their feet, be that person for them. So he says to men, right, here's something that you need to, to understand. In relationships, we cannot be takers. If you want to love people in relationship, you can't be a constant taker. It can't all be about what you need, and it can't always be about taking what you need and, and not looking at the needs of, of your wife or not looking at the needs that, that she has uh, in a relationship. And so we can't just be those constant takers. We need to be people that are givers in a relationship and giving sacrificially and loving and giving up what our desires are for the person that we love, and that's in relationship. And so I tell people all the time, look at the person that you're in relationship. Are they that type of person? Are they a person that's willing to sacrifice their needs for the needs of other people? Because that's what Paul tells us. And then in First Peter, he tells us this. So in 1 Peter 3, 7, so Peter says, Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So in the beginning it says, Husbands, in the same way. So what is he talking about? So if you read right before that in 1 Peter, he's talking to the wives. And what he says to the wives is this is what you need to do. You need to submit. Right, which is the word that no woman ever wants to hear. I always say that. Like every time I do marriage counseling and we talk about when the Bible says submit, they're all like, hmm. <laughs> I said, we're going to get there. It's not as bad as you think. Believe me. The biblical definition of what he's talking about, I know what the world's told you, and I know that sometimes the church has dismantled this and not made it right. I'm going to tell you the beauty of it, right? So that's before. But you know what's funny is, is he says, just what I got done telling the women, hey, guys, do the same thing, right? You need to do and operate the same way. And then he defines for us, right, how we should love. He breaks it down in three uh, different ways. The first way is when he talks about this, is be considerate as you live with your wife. So what does that mean? So it means that you need to be understanding of your wife's needs, you need to know what they are. You need to be understanding of the person that you're in relationships needs. I share this in premarital counseling all the time, the whole love languages, five love languages. If you've never done it, you need to read the book. Even if you're not getting married, do it and understand what love languages are, how people feel loved. Because here's the crazy thing. When Sherry and I got married, nobody told us this, and we didn't know that you were supposed to know what makes the other person feel loved, which is so weird, because we dated since I was 15, and I was like, how do you not know these things? Like, I didn't know my wife didn't know how to cook until we were married, right? 
Like, I don't know how you get to those places. Like, I, you know, or the same thing. Or like, a lot of times love languages are like this. So you love the way that you love to be loved. You know what I mean? You love other people the way that you want to be loved. And so Sherry, you know, because we didn't know this, Sherry's love language is gifts, right? And so in the beginning, I'm working and not making much money. We're living in a trailer, you know, but, but we're excited about being married. And Sherry goes out one day, and, and Sherry, out of the kindness of her heart, wants to show me love. So you know what she does? She goes and buys me a bunch of gifts. And she comes walking in the door, right? She's so excited. Hey, I got stuff for you. And I'm immediately mad. And I'm like, we don't have any money. Why are we buying gifts? And she's like, I love you. And I'm like, well, I don't love you. <laughs> you spent everything we had in the checkbook, and we're not going to be able to pay. But, but isn't that weird? You know what I mean? Like, she was loving me. It's not the way that I wanted to be loved, and it didn't make any sense because we hadn't taken the time to understand how to love each other well. We hadn't taken the time to sit down and say, what are your needs? How can I make you feel loved? Because I've told everybody, listen, if you inside of that understand how to love other people well, like if you understand what to, to, to do and then focus the rest of your marriage doing that, it's going to change everything. Because here's the problem, though, okay? The problem becomes once you do understand the love language and you learn this over time, we use it the wrong way. You know what I mean? Like once you know what makes your spouse feel loved and they're not behaving the way they're supposed to, usually withhold the thing that they love the most. Okay, nobody's going to admit it, but let me give you an example, okay? And you're not even going to want to admit this either, but I'm just going to tell you I know it's true, okay? So what do you think the number one love language is for men most of the time? Thank you. <laughs> Sex, right? Come on, guys. Most of the time, the top thing for most men, all men? Okay. <laughs> Okay, there might have been a few exceptions to that, but most of the time, sex is high on the list. Okay, Sherry used to do women's groups a lot of time when we first started ministry. She'd sit around in their women's group, and they'd all be talking about how their man is not meeting their needs, right? Not to mad at them. So guess what they're withholding? <laughs> so all the women are like, oh, we'd never do that. Oh, bull crap. I mean, I'm telling you, <laughs> I've heard the stories, right? Well, see, not, and I just tell them I have a headache or I don't feel good or I'm tired or whatever those things are, but it happens this way, right? Tools, like you use the love language because here's what's so important. You know what he's saying inside of this? You will love whether or not you are loved back. That's what it means, right? When he's saying be sensitive and understand the needs of your spouse, not so that you can get what you want, but because you know and you're kind to them. Men, this is what you got to do regardless of whether or not you're loved back. You need to understand your wife's needs and you need to meet them regardless if she gives back. And so young ladies, if you're looking for somebody that you're thinking about marrying someday, you would want to look for somebody that, that understands, that would take the time, that would look into, you know, the things that you love and the things uh, that you would need. The second part that he talks about is he says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. How's that go over, ladies? Like to hear when scripture says you're the weaker partner. Right? A lot of times, unfortunately, when people look at that, they look at it the wrong way. You know what he's saying about the weaker partner? Not that you're spiritually different, leadership different, that you're, you know, have any abilities or skills that are different. He's just saying, you know what? A man's body is made different than a woman's body. 
most of the time, right? Like that's just the reality. Men are made to have certain roles and do them, and women are made a certain way to have certain roles and do them. The role of a man, right? It's not saying she's weaker because she's lower, it's just weaker because you were made to do things. You know what one of them is? Work. Work. And I know everybody's like, oh yeah. No, it's not. Guys aren't working. I don't know what's going on, right? Like people are just okay with people, men being bums. I'm like, you're made to take care of your wife. You're made to work. That's the way that it happens. So young ladies, listen to me. Are you hearing me now? Okay. If all the rest of it was dumb, listen to this. If you're dating somebody right now that's a lazy bum, run as far as you can away from them because they will not all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm a hard worker now. It doesn't happen. I've done this long enough. It doesn't happen. Run as far as you can away from the lazy guys because they don't tend to get it for as long as you do it. God made them to work. You know what else he did? Not only did he make their body to work, he made them to protect This isn't just in relationship. This is in women in general. Men are made to stand in the gap for women. That's what we're supposed to do. And I know a lot of you girls will be like, I don't need him. I'm just saying God said our job is to protect. And I want you to start with this. Guys, listen to me. Here's how it starts, especially young guys. Young guys, I got your attention. You know in the locker room or do you know around those circles or those campfires when people are talking about women, girls, No one's going to shake their head because they're afraid that they're going to know what we're talking about. Listen, it happens, right? When they're talking, not talking the way they should about women. You know what your job is? To tell them to shut up. That's not the way you're supposed to talk about women. That's not the way that God said as a Christian man that we should be talking about other women. That's not the way that it's supposed to work. Men, you got to have enough guts to stand up and say, because you know what? If you do that, if you're in a circle of guys and you tell them to stop talking about women, do you know how they're going to respond? What's wrong with you? (laughs) You puss. You know, I mean, there's going to be something. That's what they're... You're not allowed to say that either? I mean... (laughs) I'm just telling you, that happens. You're sitting in that circle and you stand up for somebody, for a woman, because men don't do it. I'm just telling you right now, men don't do it. They join in. They join in, and that's what he's saying. Like that's your job is to protect, and your job is to stand stand in the gap. Like we need to remember chivalry, men. I know that seems like an old thing, but I'm telling you, there is place for opening the doors. There's place for serving. There's place for protecting. There's place for men to be men. And I know the culture has demeaned that, and the culture has taken that away, and the culture has spoke against that. But I'm telling you, we need to do it. The next part that he talks about, and this is at the end of it when he says to the weaker partner as heirs and that you're a gracious uh, gift in life. The other thing that we need to do and understand is we need to be friends. Right? So inside of a relationship, one of the greatest gifts that you can ever have is, yes, you have love and intimacy. But one of the greatest gifts inside of a relationship is friendship, companionship. Right? That you want to spend time with the person that you're in relationship with. Like, I get it. Everybody needs to have 
you know, their own thing. Like, Sherry and I, from the beginning, I've always said this. Like, I need to have guy time, and she needs to have girl time. Like, I need to go hunt and shoot things, you know, and she needs to do other stuff. Like, you need it, right? Like, that's what you need inside of a relationship. But I'm telling you, but when I want to do life, I don't want to do it with my buddies. I want to do it with my wife. I want to be in, I mean, she's my best friend. That's who I want to be with. And we need to understand that. Like, there's a place for understanding friendships and being involved. But at the end of the day, I want to be around her more than I want to be around anybody else. And he's telling us, like, that's a part of relationships. And here's the other part. And this one is very controversial. So I already know that some people are going to look at me and they're going to say, well, you know, I don't know about this. I've always said, guys, listen to me. If you have girlfriends outside of your relationship, I think you should not have girlfriends outside of your relationship. So I know that some people have different views of what that should be, but I'm just telling you, it gets a little weird when your best friend, if you are a man, is a girl. And I'm just telling you, if it is, you might be like, well, we've been friends since high school and all these things. Went well, nothing's ever happened. You're right for now. But you know, the first time that happens and there's this little bump and then you go tell her like, my wife's not meeting my needs. You know how this goes? Anybody? Yeah, right. You know how it goes, right? It just turns into like, oh, babe, you know. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, you could meet my needs. We were friends before, but friends now, right? And it just starts to develop and things start to happen. So I always tell people like, be careful. Your companionship and your friendship, the only one that should be the opposite sex should be your wife, right? That's the companionship and the friendship that you should be able to have with that. Now, what should we do from an action step standpoint, okay? So now you're a guy and you said, there's been some rules to find, right? Scripture says this is how we should treat women, women, and these are the things that we should do. So you get this biblical basis. But what are some action steps for you as young people and as men that we can do to help live up to what it means to be a man of God? Let's start with this. Let's start with what entertains you, right? So let's talk about, you know, when we can renew our mind, what entertains you, okay? So think about this. Guys, if you are listening to music today that says bitch or whore in it, stop listening to it. No woman should ever be referred to as a bitch or a whore, and you're going like, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that's what you do because I don't listen to music, but I'm thinking that's what you would do, right? Because it, it's just music, right? I mean, it's just music. They're just, anybody in culture that thinks it's okay to look at somebody from the opposite sex and refer to them as a bitch or a whore has no idea what it means to elevate the status of a woman, Right, and if you're if you're participating in that, that's a bad idea. Right, you need to erase it from your playlist. If you're watching something on TV right now that demeans women and sees them used as a commodity, you need to stop watching it. And I know everybody's like, "Oh, it's just entertainment. Entertainment doesn't affect me." That's a bunch of crap. It does too. Like that stuff affects people. Like those things affect the way we think and. Number one, even if it doesn't affect the way you think, why would you support something that demeans women? Why would you watch things that put women at a level where God's elevating their status, but you're going to say you're going to go ahead and consume and give them your money that brings the status of women down? You know, you shouldn't do that, and so you should change. Part of the renewing of our mind is to change the actions of your life. 
If you have something on your playlist that refers to women like it shouldn't be referred to, erase it. If you're watching something that refers to women or demeans women and things they're doing, you need to get rid of it and stop watching it. Okay? The other part of it is what you're viewing from an um, intimacy standpoint. Okay? So when it comes, this is how it used to be. When I was growing up, so this is going to tell you my age a little bit. When I was a mechanic, you know, when it comes to erotic images, you know what the erotic images were for us? If you were a mechanic on your toolbox, you had the calendar of half-naked women on your, on your toolbox. Any other mechanics in here with me? <laughs> or people? You might have had it somewhere else, but dude, that's just the way that it was. I mean, even if you didn't have it, if you walked over to the other guy's toolbox, somebody had it, and it's either the little calendars that Snap-on gave, or Maco, or whoever, or you went out and got your own. You know, but everybody had this calendar. And if you ever wanted to look at pictures of naked women, you had to actually go buy a magazine right, you know, and Hustler or whatever they were, Playboy, you know, I had to actually go look at those things, and it took quite a bit of effort to be able to do that. Now, here's the problem. Pornography today is at the fingertips of everybody, right? And you know what's so hard about it is, is that the phone has become such a vital part of our young people's lives now. When we actually think about, because we obviously know, you know how most people are getting into pornography today? Where do you think it threw their phone? And God forbid you take their phone away, right? I mean, because life would end as we know it if people didn't have iPhones, right? Like, I mean, it would just, life would end if people didn't get those things. But we know that that is a, a window or a gateway, and it's always in their hands. And what are you going to be able to do with it? Because you don't know what to do. You don't know how to control it because if they don't have their phone. But here, let me, let me, guys, let me give you some, some insight into this if you don't already know it. And girls, listen to me when I'm telling you this, okay? Because here's the problem with pornography. Pornography has become an accepted way to meet the needs of men. Like, you might not think it is, but I'm telling you it is. And I'll just give you how, how the world has accepted this and how even Christian communities have accepted this. So if you're a young man today and you're like, man, I have needs, No young man in here? Like, I mean, you have sexual desires. I know what it's like to be a young man, right? Those things happen. So you know what the, the Christian community has told us? Like, don't have sex outside of marriage. It's so terrible, and you'll be condemned. So you know what they do? They go into their bedrooms or their closets, and they masturbate to porn, and everybody's like, well, that's way better. No guy's going like this, but I'm telling you, it's... Is this not true? Is this not the world that we're living in today that has accepted the idea that it's better, it's better to view pornography than it is to, to actually physically go out and have sex with somebody outside of marriage? Or, you know the other thing that's accepted? And, and again, I, part of this I think you guys are going to struggle with when I say it, but when your wife's not meeting your needs, better to go into the bedroom and masturbate than it is to go out and find somebody else. So it's been an accepted part of marriage, right? It's been an accepted part of the way that men, I mean, it's way better than them having an affair, isn't it? I don't think anybody's going with me on this one. Listen to me, I'm telling you. You might not want to hear this, but I am telling you, this is ruining marriages today. You know why? Young men who are masturbating, young men who are looking at pornography, you know what their brain is now being taught? To understand that a picture is better than a physical body. 
And if you don't believe that, talk to married people where men are addicted to pornography that they would rather masturbate than have sex. You think that's... I feel like nobody wants to talk about it. I'm telling you guys, listen, this is true. This is true. You've trained your mind to say a picture is... But you know what if you've trained your mind to do? That one body's not enough. You're training yourself to say this one body that God's given me through marriage or through relationship is never going to be good enough. And believe me, this isn't just something that I'm, this is science. Science says that your brain becomes trained. So your intimacy level, because I know a lot of young guys are saying, well, it's way better. That way I don't have sex with a lot of women. What do you think you're doing in the closet or in your bedroom? What do you think you're doing? Just because you're not having physical sex, you staring at other women having this, it's the same thing. You're training your mind in a way that would say all these things. One person is not good enough. One body's not good enough. And then all of a sudden, these things start to change inside of us that are not good. And you need to figure it out. So one of the ways to renew your mind, if you're struggling with pornography today, and I know that this is going to seem extreme, or you think your kids are struggling with pornography today, I don't think you can go to any greater extent to get rid of it. Even if it means your kids hate you. Because that's kind of normal anyway. I mean, isn't there at some point your kids don't like you? I mean, I think protecting them so that someday in their relationship with their future wife that they can have the intimacy that's deserved is better than them being mad at you because they took your phone away. That's just a personal opinion, but it's something that I think you need to consider. If you're struggling with it, you need to consider the same thing. If you're in a married relationship and you have been okay with this sort of thing, it's time to talk about it and trying to figure out how that's not a part of your marriage. The other thing is this, and the last part of this uh, scripture, and the worship team's gonna come back up. Here's the last part of it. And again, this might seem a little bit controversial or you might struggle with this, but I want you to hear me when I say it. If you're playing house right now, okay, living together, having sex, being, doing everything that a married couple's doing, but you're not getting married, guys, here's my question. Why? Why? I mean, you're having sex with her, but you're not going to marry her? I mean, I get it, what you're saying. is like, well, we're going to get married someday. Okay, then get married. What are you waiting on? Why are you waiting? Because here's what God said, and I want you to understand this. When you're having sex outside of marriage, what you've done is devalue God's plan for intimacy and sex and women. That's what you've done, right? And I'm not saying it as to shame you. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But women, I do want to say, like, the whole message was for men, but women, I do want to say this to you today. You know why they're not marrying you right now? Because you're giving them everything they want without commitment. Is that one okay? <laughs> I mean, why would they marry you? They get everything a married couple gets. They get to have sex, you get to live in the same house, you get to do but when they don't like it, then they can just quit and go do something else. Right? They get to just go do something else. I'm saying, listen. To value the women the way that they deserve men, why don't you make a commitment? 
Why won't you say, like, this is the woman and this is what I'm going to do? And I know there's a hundred excuses why, you know, it's money, it's timing, it's can we plan a wedding, blah, 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 blah. Listen, you can figure it out. So, if you're in a relationship right now and you're not married and you're having sex, this is what I'd ask you to do. Ladies, are you ready? Stop having sex with him until you're married. Because you know one thing that it'll do? It'll either speed up the wedding <laughs> or he'll be leaving and you'll know his real motives. Does that seem harsh? I'm just telling you it's true. Because again, if, if you're saying you are going to get married someday, like if you are going to, to get married, then just stop having sex. You know, stop doing some of those things. Honor God before that so God will be in it, right? Do those things. And then let God work out and let you see, is this really the man that God has for me? Because if you go to him today, if you walk out of here and you say, you know what, we listened today and we're going to stop having sex. And he's like, oh my gosh, you're going to listen to that so old-fashioned. Like you might want to think about who you're dating. Just a thought, just something that might reveal some things that you might not have known before, but it's an opportunity for you to be able to do this. Because here's what I want more than anything, guys. Like, listen to me, and I've said this, and I'm going to say it again, I'm going to say it at the end of the service. This service isn't to beat up men. You know what this service is for? This service is to understand that men called to be men, treating women the way that they're called to be treated, will change a generation of people. And you know where it starts? Listen to me. Married couples, if you want your children to know Jesus, then love each other well. Love each other well. Show them Jesus by the sacrificial love that you give to one another, and a generation will be changed. If you're dating right now and, and you're wanting to get married, understand, I, I say this to every married couple that I do marriage counseling with, you know what the greatest gift that you'll ever give this world? is through your sacrificial love, the rest of the world will know who Jesus Christ is. It's the greatest gift you'll ever give. I mean, I can help you through marriage. I can help you with your budget. I can help you with conflict resolution. I can help you with all those things. But the thing that I want to help you with the most is understand this. Your marriage and your love will show Jesus into an unbelieving world. And it will not only transform this generation. If we teach it and we do it, it will transform this generation and this generation in this generation, and there is no greater gift that we can leave this world than a legacy of being the men that God has called us to be and allowing him to use us to transform the world. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So, Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing and understanding the difficulty of pushing against what culture has said about men. Lord, should we lift up the men in this room and we lift up the young men in this room that they will take responsibility for being men of God, understanding how to treat women well and knowing that in the way that we treat women, this is God what you said, in the way that we treat our spouse, that the world will know, an unbelieving world will know and, and understand who you are. Lord, let that be our prayer that through the way that we love and through the way that we love young ladies and women in this room, Lord, that, we, that the world will know who you are. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Before we close today, we're going to end with a song that we did uh, Friday night, and it's called The Blessing. Children and their children. 
So men, first of all, let me say this. There's been no greater prayer in my life since I gave my life to Christ than this, that the favor of God will fall upon men that they will understand the role that God has given them to play in the kingdom. And the other greatest prayer that I have is that you will recognize this. The world has said that they are against you, men, becoming men. I want you to know this. God is for you. He is on your side. Like the song that we sang in the beginning, in the midst of the fire, there is somebody standing with you. In the midst of the water, there's somebody holding back the waves. God is with you, men. The question is, will you take up that responsibility? Will you own that favor? Will you understand what it is that God has for your life? Because here's what I believe. If you do, and when you do, or if you already have, you've recognized this. Not only will a generation of people be changed, thousands upon thousands for all of eternity, people's lives will be changed. So thanks again for being with us this week. Thanks for joining us online. And we look forward to seeing you guys again next week.